that was Wesley, wasn't that great? Hey, welcome to First Baptist Church. We're going to start a series today. Um, over the last several months, we've talked about grace. We've talked about what it means to be a disciple. Uh, to follow after Jesus means to deny yourself, which means you recognize that you're nothing, that I'm nothing. And when we carry our cross, that means we're submitting to, to God. And Jesus said, follow me. It means we follow Jesus. And by the way, any time Jesus went to the and uh, we've talked about what it means to, what's it look like after you fall in love with God? We, we talked about service. And man, we, oh, by the way, last, the last quarter, uh, the average number, and Kathy helped me out with this. What was the, was the average number of people who worked one hour a month? Was it in the 20s? Yes. Like 23 or something like that. That was an average for three months. Um, <coughs> last month. When I say 23, 23 of you gave an hour a month of service over the last quarter. But in October, 70 of you served an hour a month. Uh, 70 of you served one hour in October. And we did a lot of ministry. Lots of ministry. Trunk or treat and all kinds of things. So, so y'all, when we all do our part, things, incredible things happen at this church. And that's why we really encourage you to, to plug in one hour a month and serving here. Uh, but I'm very, very proud of you. Uh, and that just means you love God. I mean, when you love God, you're going to serve him. Uh, I scoured the Internet, and I found some really decent uh, love quotes. And there's all kinds of quotes out there about love. I want to see if you guys can figure these out. The answer, the word, uh, the word bank is on the bottom. Uh, see if you can figure out who said this about love. And by the way, all of these say something very specific about love, and you can't apply them to the love of God, and we're going to kind of unpack that over four weeks. Who said all you need is love? John Lennon. The Beatles, very good. Uh, Lennon, specifically. Uh, love is the whole thing. We are only, uh, love is the whole thing. We are only the pieces. Gandhi, nope. Uh, his, name, his name was Rumi. He was a 12th century Mideastern poet. I don't believe you guys don't get that. Uh, love recognizes no barriers. Maya Angelou, very good. Uh, you must allow me to tell, this is, you must allow me to tell you how uh, ardently I admire and love you. Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice, very good. That's for the highbrow group. And where, where there is love, there is life. Gandhi. You guys are smart. Very good. There's a last word in the word bank. Uh, <laughs> Where there is love, there is, where there is life, there is love, where there is love, there is life. That's Gandhi. Now, some of these, they highlight all, they all highlight love. And we couldn't make a list listing all the things about love. So we're going to unpack it over a four-week period. Now, Scripture's packed full of, of bits about love. And I, I want to I read this passage with you together. In fact, what we're going to do, I'm going to read the, the uh, odd, and you're going to read the even. But this is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Church? Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Church, say God is love. God is love. That is one powerful statement. It is absolutely true through all the ages. But when we flip that and say that love is God, uh, it doesn't work that way. God is love, but 
love doesn't mean uh, love is not God. Uh, let me explain this to you. I think two people can fall in love with each other, but that doesn't mean that the love they have for one another is holy. People can fall in love with one another, and it doesn't mean it's a godly love. It doesn't mean that it's a type of love that, that, that God has, has, has ordained. Uh, and I think the reason why we struggle with that is because we think somehow love defines who God is. Love doesn't define God. God defines love. <coughs> love doesn't define God. God defines what love is. And God is holy, and the love He expresses, the reveal, uh, uh, the, 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 the revelation of His heart, everything about God flows out of that love, okay? God is love, so even His judgments flow out of love. Even His discipline for us flows out of love. It comes from a source, a well of love. Man, you look at how God sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross, to be resurrected, and the reason He did that was because of our sin. He had to judge our sin, and on the cross, Jesus took all of the judgment for our iniquity. Now here's the beautiful thing. That was judgment, but it flowed out of the heart of God. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will never perish, but will have everlasting life. Now we forget that the cross was in the middle of that. God's judgment came out of love and thank God it always leads to life. For God so loved that you and I get to live. God is love, but that does not mean that Love is God. God defines what love is. It was, it was love that motivated him, and even his judgments flow out of that. In our world, man, love's complicated. It's messy. Uh, it can get jacked up. But love is also encouraging. It's also nourishing. It's, it's rejuvenating. Uh, love is, is, is a beautiful experience, and, and it's the heart of John 3.16. If you didn't go to the Connect group, then go to it this week because it's, it's amazing. John 3.16 is the crown jewel of Scripture. It is the hope diamond of Scripture, and it shows us His love. Um, even His judgments are out of love. Now, I can never imagine making a list of all the things that love is, but we're going to look at love God, love people for the next month. And he tells us that all of the laws of the, of the Old Testament are hung up on these two things. These two ideas are what all 613 laws of the Old Testament are hung up on. Turn on or turn to your Bible to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, while I set up this passage. Jesus had been teaching for a little bit. He had got on the radar of the Jewish leaders, and they couldn't stand him. They hated him. He had a tremendous sway over the Jewish people. As long as the Jewish people uh, were following his ministry, it means that they weren't following the ministries of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests. They hated him. They tried to look for every opportunity they could to trip him up to say something blasphemous or something heretical because as soon as they could get him to do that, then they could go about launching their campaign to kill this dude or to get him out of the way. And so they come to him and they try to trip him up. And it sounds very similar to, this, to a sermon I did just a couple of weeks ago, but man, this was Jesus' life. Everywhere he went, there was somebody out to get him, primarily church people. I want you to look what the Word of God says uh, about this. And he's talking to the guys who were good with the law. Uh, Harvard Law professors, if you will, and they're trying to get Jesus to trip him up. This is what the Bible says. Matthew 22, verse 34 through 36. Now, Jesus had been talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You can think of them um, in political terms. These are, the, these are the senators and the congressmen. These are the big muckety-mucks. He silenced the Sadducees, and the Pharisees got together, and they said, okay, apparently the Sadducees weren't smart enough to trip this guy up, so let's see what we can do. One of them... An expert in the law who teaches at Harvard tested him on this question. Teacher, rabbi, what is the greatest commandment of the law? 
That's a, that's a trick question. It's loaded because there's 613 commandments in the Jewish old in the Jewish Torah, the Old Testament. So to get him to say, okay, this is the most important man. This this is controversial. They're trying to get him to trip up. And what Jesus says as an answer not only sets the stage for where we're going um, in this particular series, but it sets the stage for Christian love for history, uh, throughout history. This is really who we are. This is where we're trying to go to. Jesus says, I'm going to give you the greatest commandment. And Jesus immediately replies to this expert Harvard Law professor with an answer that sends shockwaves to everybody who hears it. You ready? Here it is. These are the words in red. Jesus replied, okay, dude. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the what? This is the biggest. This is the greatest. This is the most paramount. This is what it's all about. And there's a second one, a whole lot like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you can put all the laws of all the prophets in these two. You can hang, you can hang it all on those two hooks. Now, man, this is, this is an amazing thing. This is one statement or verse that you and I should probably commit to memory. We should put it on our dashboard. We should put it on our refrigerator, wherever we're going to see it. Love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. Man, if we could get those two things memorized, get them in our heart, it will change the soundtrack for the rest of our life. This is one statement or verse that you and I should commit to memory as much as possible. And what Jesus does in this one verse is amazing. It's off the chain. Here are some of the most important instructions in the Old Testament. And Jesus sinks them together. He brings them together. And guys, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. And these two, this, I think this is probably the first time they were brought together under the same roof. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. How many of you grew up like from a Catholic background? I know that some of you all did. Um, Pam, I, you don't have a Catholic background, but, but you at uh, St. Mary's, they teach the kids a prayer for meal. What's that? Is Mark here? Is Mark? Mark, what's the prayer that they taught you growing up, baby? Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Very good. Thank you, buddy. He learned that uh, growing up uh, with our Catholic brothers and sisters. I grew up saying in a prayer every night before I went to bed, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. That struck fire out of me when I was a six-year-old kid, you know. Uh, no wonder. I've always thinking about heaven and God and dying, you know. Uh, uh, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. How many of y'all grew up saying that prayer? Come along, Jesus, be our guest. By thee, this food be blessed. Amen. We, we, we've all got that in our background, okay? Uh, Maybe not as regimented or rote as, as other denominations or other backgrounds or, or uh, traditions, but we've all done that. When Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, that was actually a prayer that every Jewish child grew up saying twice a day. It was, thank the O Lord for our bounty, or now I lay me down to sleep. It was on their tongue. In fact, it comes out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 5. It's one of the most famous scriptures in all of Judaism. Uh, it's called the Shema prayer. The Bible project defines the Shema prayer as this. Uh, the Shema became a twice-daily prayer within Judaism. It was so widely practiced in the Second Temple period, the one that Jesus grew up in. Jesus himself grew up praying. it. This prayer was formative for Jesus, and he drew upon it for his teachings. So when the Harvard Law professor said, J.C., what's the most greatest What's the greatest commandment? Jesus is basically saying, dude, you've been saying it your whole life. You already know what it is. It's no big secret. 
I'm not going to give you a tremendous revelation. Jesus said, you've been saying it since you were a kid. Love God first. Love Him with everything you got. All your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love Him with everything you have. It's not a mystery. You've prayed it every day since you could speak. Jesus reminds the lawyer and the crowds listening about that greatest commandment that's been on their lips all the time. And then Jesus follows up that greatest commandment with another commandment. He brings them to under the same tent. And just as he quoted Deuteronomy 6, now he's going to quote uh, from the book of Leviticus. He said the second commandment's like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first time anybody's brought those two together. Now, Jesus has the divine authority to do that. Rabbis didn't. He had the divine insight to bring those two uh, commandments together. And it doesn't matter what all the Pharisees and the the Harvard Law Professor and the Sadducees said. Jesus had the authority to say, okay, guys, if we could just whittle it down to two, these are it. And y'all, if anybody had the authority to tell us what the top two were, it's Jesus. Don't try to argue with him. I don't know about you. I've tried to argue with him. Dude wins every time. You know, well, Brother Mike, that's a really good good commandment, but I think there's some very good ones as well. Well, yeah, but you're not Jesus. These are the two things that he gave us. Let's not try to make majors out of minors. These are the two things that we got to get. These are the two things that we have to focus in on. Jesus had both the divine authority and the insight to make this climb. Ain't nobody going to argue with him then or here. A lot of us spend a lot of time trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. Why am I supposed to live? I've walked the aisle. I said the prayer, man. I'm a member of a church. What do I do now? Uh, consequently, we are to be different after we, after we get saved. We are to be different after we fall in love with God. We, we're supposed to live different. And oftentimes, what, what I do is I focus on my sinful behaviors. The things I do wrong, or the words I say, or the, the things I, I think, or the places I go, or things like... I think that that's, that's where God's really looking, my sinful behavior. No, get, get, rid more, get rid of that, because that's distancing us from God, or me from God. And it's true. But as we define who, uh, how to live a Christian life, usually it looks like I don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't hang out with people who do. You know, it looks like an Adam Ant song. Um, but is that all it is, what we don't do? Is, is that really, you know, we, we, we don't do that stuff? Does, that means we're a Christian? Not according to this verse. What Jesus is saying, hey, we can talk about all the things you shouldn't do, but let's talk about the things you should be doing. And what he says is, love God, love people. Uh, and oftentimes we try to eliminate that from our lives. When, when I first got saved, I was eight. How much sinning could an eight-year-old kid do, you know? But when I got saved, it, it meant something to me. It was legitimate. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I'm still living out that decision that God did in my life when I was eight. It made a big decision. It made a big impact. But I'm going to tell you what. As soon as I got saved that night, I went home, and I had all the Beatles. I was eight. I was eight. I had all the Beatles albums on vinyl. And I thought, if I'm going to be a Christian, I've got to throw all those away. And after 50 years, I still grieve. I that if I was going to be a Christian, then that meant I had to stop. I was eight. I couldn't watch the Three Stooges anymore. So I stopped watching the Three Stooges. Tom and Jerry were questionable, okay? But when I was eight, I thought this is what I had to do to show God I love him. I was eight. That's what, you know, that's what I thought I had to do. But you know what? There's people who are 30 thinking the same thing. 
You know, God's not going to love me if I'm listening to the Beatles or whatever. Because we define who we are in Christ and the example, uh, maybe the evidence that we love him by the things we don't do. I don't see that in this text. Jesus said, hey man, if you want to know if you love me, what are you doing? And many of us have struggled with, with a verse like this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone was in Christ, he is a new creation, new creation, new creature. The old things are gone, the new things have come. I don't know about you, but I've still got a lot of old stuff in my life. Preach. You know, I know I'm a new creation, but I got a lot of the old stuff laying around. I got a lot of baggage, and I deal with it all the time. And like I said, I was saved when I was eight. I'm, I'm a 52-year-old man now. I still struggle with this stuff. So what's it mean? I mean, how do I act right? How do I live my Christian life? We wonder why we struggle with those old behaviors and those sinful patterns uh, when we're supposed to be new creations. And with that said, I sure am glad Jesus made it real simple for me. Mike, here's the two things. Here they are. Don't get confused. I know you're simple, so I want to keep it simple. Love God. Love people. Well, what about the 613? I know you're simple. I boiled it down to two. I like that about my Savior. He gets me. Um, and really, that's the summary statement of Jesus' words from Matthew 22. And y'all, since we believe that Jesus is Lord, the Messiah of all mankind, the Savior of all mankind, then I think it, it, it stands the reason that we ought to do what he said. If he's the king, then let's do what the king says. If he's the Messiah and there's not another one coming, he's the only one that's been here, then we probably ought to do what he says. We ought to pay attention to his words. And since we believe that he is the Messiah, his commands are worth listening to. Now, I want to show you something in this scripture because Jesus, Jesus connects two trains together. He puts a car that says obedience and a train car that says love, and he couples them. They're connected. The, God, the Bible says this in John 15, 9 through 13. By the way, I'm like two pages away from being done. Stay with me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Stay in my love. If you obey my commands. Church, say obey my commands. Obey my commands. If you obey my commands, do what I say. You will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands. What Jesus is doing is he connected that train car of obedience to love. If you obey me, it means you love me. If you love me, it means you're going to obey me. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other. We've heard that, dude. Leviticus. Here's the new command. Love each other as I have loved you. You don't find that in the Old Testament. This is the new command. Jesus is putting his own spin on it. Jesus is changing things. My Father's command is you remain as love. I have told you this so that my joy may be complete in you. Verse 12, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. We can't even think about Jid, James Brockmeyer without thinking about that. We understand the concept of that. You love somebody so much that you're willing to lay down yourself, your life, uh, to get the job done. To get the mission accomplished. Jesus says, man, remain in me as I am in the Father. Obey my commands. And if you're doing that, you're going to love one another. And if we love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with our, all of our minds, then it serves to follow that we're going to love people the way the God we love loves them. We're going to look like our Father. We're going to have the heart of the Father. And we'll, we're going to talk about that later in the series, so I'm not going to camp on that a whole lot. As we've already seen, y'all, the greatest commandment comes from Matthew 22, 34 through 40. 
which is basically a summary of a couple of passages from the Old Testament. John's gospel gives us fresh insight, a new command. John 13, 34 through 35. Church say a new command. And this is a big deal. This is a New Testament stuff. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you something that ain't been said before. I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to find in the Old Testament. Here it is. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. Okay, now what's that mean? I've got to go to the cross. I've got to bleed for somebody. I've got to get stabbed in the side with a spear. What do you, what's that mean? Because I'm trying to figure out how to live a life of, of a Christian. And I know i got to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But what's that look like to love somebody the way Jesus loves them? And hey, look, y'all, uh, this is hard to explain, and I'm not telling you I get it. So I've just simplified it. I've distilled it down to its basic principles, basic elements. To me, and by the way, I think you could have a different definition. I think the way we love people like Jesus is going to vary from person to person. I think the way Mark shows people the love of Jesus may be different than the way Brenda does because we have different backgrounds uh, and different resources. So what does it mean to love other people the way that I've loved you? This is what I figured out. When Jesus, Jesus showed us that he loved us by giving us something that's very valuable, would you say that what Jesus did for us, what he gave for us was very valuable? Has it blessed you? Has it made your life better? Has it brought you some hope? Yeah. Did it cost him something? Yes. Stay with me. Love one another the same way, in a similar fashion as I've loved you. Again, guys, I'm probably oversimplifying this, but this is what it means to me. It means if I'm going to love somebody the way Jesus loves me, it means it's going to cost me something. I might have to give up something valuable. What's valuable to you? To make, somebody's else, to make someone else's life better or to make somebody, else, somebody else's life have some hope or some meaning or some value. To make somebody feel like they've been seen and heard. It means you will have to give up something that's valuable to you. For some of you, it looks like money. For some of you, it looks like your time. My phrase at, at this stage in my life, waste my money. Don't waste my time. That's what I'm limited on. Some of you, that role is reversed. For some of you, loving somebody like Jesus just means that you go out of your way to let them know that they're seen, that they're heard, that they're valued. For some of you, it, it, it may look like inviting somebody over to your table at Thanksgiving who does not have a table to sit at. Well, Brother Mike, my family's there. Hey, I didn't say it was going to be easy. In fact, if it's the real type of love that Jesus is talking about, it's not going to be convenient. It might even be messy. But brothers and sisters, when we love like Jesus, we will love in such a way that it costs us something. I'm not going to tell you that's the right patient, but I'm saying that's the interpretation I see that makes sense. Because it's a tough concept. Love one another, love your neighbor, love your family, love your community. But here's what's new. Love them as I've loved you. Y'all, that new commandment helps explain the greatest commandment. That new commandment of loving others the way I've loved you helps explain love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's that that helps us do this other thing. The cars are coupled together. What does that look like? What does that practically look like? It means something different for all of us, but it means you trade something you value so somebody else's life can be different. 
Y'all, love's a hot topic today. There's all kinds of songs and movies about love. But man, love has been a hot topic ever since we started breathing. Love is all over the place. It's just who it is. It's just what it is. I hope this series will help you stop and think about love. How love impacts your life. How you love others. What God's love means to you in your life. Pam, honey, if you want to come up and, and uh, start playing for me. Y'all, Jesus has a whole lot to say about love. And over the next four weeks, we're really going to dig into the heart of the issue of what love is. Now, this is what I know. I want to give you the challenge for today's message. Because we saw the greatest commandment in the new commandment. Here it is. If you know that the love that Jesus wants you to share other people is going to cost you something. And it means it's going to, it may hurt, it may not be convenient. There will be specific people in your life who could use a little more love this week. And here's the thing, God's going to send them to you. God's going to send you that person who does not feel like they're heard. They don't feel like they're valued. They, they might be at the end of their rope. And I pray God sends those people to you. And maybe even as I said that, it might be somebody you work with, somebody in your family saying, oh, I know exactly who that person is. I know who that woman is, or I know who that student is, or I know who that man is. But they need to know the love of God, and they, they need to see it through you. You've got to be willing. And it's not easy. In fact, you're going to have to do it intentionally. But remember this. Jesus, in that great commandment, the new commandment, He coupled together obedience and love. You're going to have to obediently do it. It means you're going to have to will yourself to do it, make yourself do it, dedicate yourself to do it. Open up your heart and say, God, I'm surrendering my heart to you. I want to do this because I'm a born-again child of God. And I know part of the reason why I was saved is to be a witness into this community. God, I give it to you. Here's your challenge. Will you surrender your heart to God and say, God, take my heart captive because I want to love in the full capacity and the ability to love others the way you want me to. I remember reading a story in study hall a long time ago when I was a kid at Odin High School. Um, I can't remember the exact town, but I think it was either Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. It started with a P. It could have been Patoka as far as I know. It was a long time ago. Uh, but there was a break-in at this hospital, and I guess they broke in. They took pharmaceutical things and, you know, junk like that. But one of the things they took was a, a, a canister or whatever for, for this nuclear, for nuclear medicine. It was a long time ago. And it was hazardous. It was dangerous. I mean... You can, you can be in the same room with radiation, it'll kill you. You can't hide from it. But the hospital administrator called the popo and said, Hey, man, we've had all this stuff stolen, and we, we need you to let the thief know something. And this was the quote. He said, Please warn the suspect that they are carrying death with them and that the radioactive material cannot be successfully hidden. As long as they have it in their possession, it is affecting them disastrously. And what the administrator was saying, is, says, it doesn't matter where that, that material is, it's going to leach into your life, it's going to leach into your bones, it's going to bleach into your organs, it's going to bleach into everything that you are. You can be in China, but if you've got this material with you, it is doing something to you. Church, I've got news for you. If God is living inside of you, He will leach out in your life. It'll show up, it'll show in your bones. How can you be so patient? How can you be so kind? How can you be so forgiving? How can you be so empathetic? How can you be so compassionate? How can you be so loving? Oh, if you only knew what lived inside me. You see, we will become what God is if He's in us. We can't help it. The only thing we can do is stop it by not being obedient. He's already in us. This week, man, would, would you say, Lord, take my heart captive. I surrender it to you because I'm loving the capacity and the ability that you want me to love other people. Hey, it's already there. He's there.
turn him on. Flip the switch. If I could ask you to stand with every head and every bow, every head bowed and every eye closed. Y'all, in a moment, I'm going to give you an invitation. As every head is bowed and every eye closed, would you join me this morning and ask God to take your heart captive this week to enlarge your capacity and your ability to love? A preacher, I will do that, but for what end? For what purpose? Here it is. So people can see the Jesus in your life. So people can see your Jesus at work in your life. Y'all, I'm going to give an altar call here. And a lot of this has to do with the 10-second rule we talked about in January. Y'all, this week, I believe that God's going to show someone in your life, bring them to you. And you're going to be able to add value to them, but it's going to cost you something. And next week, I want to hear testimonies from you. For those of you who have surrendered your, your heart to God today to say, Lord, I want to live like, I love like you. I want to hear your stories next week because I believe from, from the bottom of my spirit, God's going to do something with this. But would you pray with me this morning? Because I'm going to challenge you. Would you ask God to take your heart captive this week? To enlarge your capacity to love and your ability to love. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I, surrender my heart to you. I surrender my heart to you. Take it captive. Take it surround, captive. It. surround it. I love you, Lord, love you. with all my heart, soul, and strength. Heart, soul, that is the greatest commandment. The greatest. Lord, I want to do the new commandment. And I can only do it through you. Let me love other people. In such a way that it costs me something. Let me love other people. The way you love me. Y'all, this invitation is open. Maybe right now the Holy Spirit's already beginning to put somebody's face or maybe somebody's name on your heart before you leave this church. Maybe God's given you your assignment oh that'd be cool what if God gave you your assignment this week to intentionally and deliberately show love to somebody one person almighty God as this invitation is extended I pray for every one of those folks who are going to come down here to pray for that person that you've placed upon their heart in this hour in Jesus' name and amen Carrie what are we going to sing huh as we sing, this invitation is open. Would you come? I have Pray for that soul. Pray for that spirit. Pray for that, that person that God has placed in your life or placed on your mind that needs love, that needs encouragement, that needs hope, that needs peace. Man, you've given Jesus an open invitation to come into your heart and to be Himself through you. My, 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 what an incredible challenge. and What an incredible blessing. You get to be Jesus this week, man. You've got an appointment on heaven's calendar to be Jesus this week to somebody God has laid upon your heart. My, what a blessing. What an amazing, awesome God we serve. Hallelujah.